Welcome to Turning the Page, Lexington Public Library's podcast where we discuss library happenings, take a behind-the-scenes look at different parts of the library, and of course, book recommendations and author interviews. I'm your host, Jennifer. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy. Turning the Page is really happy to have Lynn Hightower back. We interviewed her before about her book, The Enlightenment Project, and this is another podcast where we're going to dive deeper into her book, The Enlightenment Project, and her new book that's coming out. So we're really excited about that. Lynn Hightower is an internationally best-selling author of numerous thrillers, including the Sonora Blair and Lena Paget detective series. She has previously won the Seamus Award for Best First Private Eye Novel, and a W.H. Smith Fresh Talent Award. Lynn lives in Kentucky in a small Victorian cottage with a writing parlor. So we're going to start with some questions. Okay. Um, we enjoyed having you here the last time, and so for October we would really we're excited to have you back because we also had questions that we wanted right? answered from your last interview. And the paperback comes out in October. Yes, and that goes to my first question. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Which is, (laughs) The Alignment Project is out now on paperback. Yes. Last time we saw you, we got a little teaser that Noah's story could continue. Mm -hmm. Do you have any details you want to share with us? I do. Ooh. Yes. Please do. Um, Publisher asked me for a sequel, and I said, oh, well, I just so happen to have an idea. (laughs) So, yeah, it's called The Darkness in Provence. Okay. And it takes place in Kentucky and in Provence in France. And there are very dark things that are connected, okay, between the two. And it's based on a true story in terms of a place that does exist. You know, 80% of what a priest does with exorcisms do not involve possessions. They involve a demonic infestation in a house, a location somewhere, oh. an office, whatever. And that's 80%. And we're not talking about, you know, your Uncle Fred coming and telling you he loves you or, or a presence of someone you love that's passed over. It's absolutely different. This is a very dark, malevolent presence. Okay, and it's got nothing but evil intent, and these are the kinds of things they deal with. So this is based on a place. I've interviewed the people that uh, have lived there and left, and it's utterly terrifying. Oh, wow. (laughs) So that's going to lead to one of our other questions. So in the research for any of your books, have you come across something so scary or eerie that you either had to include it or that was too scary to include? And what was it? Too scary to include is not a category for me. <laughs> we didn't think so. <laughs> no, nah, you know me too well. No, too scary to include is great material. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, haunted houses have always intrigued me and always thought mostly it's just, you know, nice ghosts who maybe had something traumatic happen and got stuck or were just a presence from the other side. And I always had a very kind of warm and fuzzy a little bit scared feeling about it. Right. Like, Who doesn't like to have that little bit of scary yeah. in their day? This is, this, uh, <laughs> you know, keeps this, you living. This isn't that. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. This is not that. And this place, uh, I mean... Nobody who lives in the area, and I'm going to change the location so, you know, people can't find it, uh, which would not be good. Nobody that lives in the area will go, you know, uh, if you have a dog, they're going to leave. They're going to run out the door every time they can, and you pretty much have to drag them back, okay? Workmen will come. They'll come to your door like, oh, this, yeah, no, sorry, I'm not coming in. And uh, you need to get out. I mean, 
they say that in the movies like it's a joke. And everybody in this area says, um, you need to get out. <laughs> so it's not a secret. People who live there know all about it. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I thought it would be very interesting to deal with that and to also deal with the issues is, what do you do if something like this is going on in your life? Where on earth do you go for help? That's a huge issue. Yeah. Yeah. This one's a two-parter. Okay. What is the scariest book that you've ever written? Mm-hmm. And what is the scariest book you've ever read? I think The Enlightenment Project is my scariest book. Although The Piper, which is about phone calls from the dead, and does involve a dark entity based on a house I was living in when I was writing it. And uh, we were going to buy the house, but we decided, no, we're getting out <laughs> as soon as we can. <laughs> It's so funny because my agent says to me, well, you know, the problem with the Haunted House book is why don't people leave? I'm like, yeah, well, Matt, people have a mortgage. They may have sunk all their money into it. Right. And it's not quite as easy as you think. You Eventually, you just have to leave no matter what. But it's not quite as easy as people think, right? Yeah. Yeah. You've heard the story where the people in, was it upstate New York that bought the house and they started thinking that the house was sending them letters? Letters. Yes, so they would cool. get letters in the mailbox about, like, it was supposedly from something, but it was, like, written as if it was from the home itself, that they didn't want them in the house. Okay, that very... sounds malevolent. Yeah. And that, and that doesn't sound like a ghost. That sounds like something, a yeah. malevolent entity, because I'm telling you, they'll get you with phone calls, messages. They're texting Oh, yeah. Really, people are getting demonic texts, which I find slightly hilarious and slightly horrifying because it sounds funny till you get one. And it's like, oh, oh no. What is happening? You're reaching out to me and I don't like it. And, um, you know, I just, you know, I've been keeping track of what the exorcists have been up to. And they're on YouTube. You can sign up and and do uh, like a sort of Zoom exorcism for, it's like they are so swamped. Okay, they're so swamped and they're like, if you just need like a shot at this to see if it might help you, right? Right. You can sign up and then you sign up and they do like a mass. Oh, wow. Which I find fascinating. But when you actually think about it, in other countries, they take it in stride. I mean, they have religious services. They do the regular service. And at the end, they do an exorcism on everybody here in case they need it. And then they just go home to lunch. Yeah. Don't take it home with you. Yeah. Don't take it home with you. Let's clear this out. Let, let's, you know, give you a, a place to go with some healing. So, right. yeah, it's crazy. And yet the research is out there. It's happening. And I have to write about it. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So going back to the second part of this question, it's like, mm-hmm. so have you read something that you really thought was really scary that you didn't write. Yes. I mean, it's the classic novel that I think is the scariest novel ever written, which is The Haunting of Hill House. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Because it does a really good job of showing the spiritual side of this kind of thing. And people go and they're going to check out the ghosts and they're going to have a good time. And, and you know, it. they're all fascinated with it and they don't factor in. Okay, what happens if something comes to you externally, all right, and just starts messing with your mind? And to me, the scariest scene is when there's something beating. I mean, imagine being in the house and something is beating on the door and it's loud and that's pretty terrifying. And then, you know, she says, stop, stop squeezing my hand. And she said, 
I'm not holding your hand. That oh, oh, moment, yeah. that moment in the book, I was just like, oh, you know, and I think that is one of the most powerful, I, I think it's the most powerful, scariest novel that I've, I've ever read because it hits you on a very visceral level mm-hmm. and on a very credible level and yeah. on a very psychological level, okay? Yeah. I don't like slasher and violence and all of that, although... There is certainly some of that. Yeah. You know, I mean, people are at risk. But I like the, you know, the the thinking woman's terrifying novel. Well, it's funny because I just read that Peter Straub died. He's passed yes. away. And I was thinking about him and his writing style was very writerly. Someone like Shirley Jackson, who, yes. I'm, who I think had that niche of like actually telling you a story. They didn't need to use that that sort of device of blood and gore, they just took you to another place that was so much more scary. Someone like Shirley Jackson is yes. someone I, which was a really good writer. She's I mean, she was brilliant, just, absolutely yeah. brilliant. And this is the kind of thing I like, and this is my goal when I'm writing. Okay. I can see that. She was definitely someone who I think she could aspire to, like, really tap into. Plus, I mean, I read some of her biographies, that she wrote those stories about her children. There's this underlining, like, What's happening? Like, but you're telling your own story, but it's also kind of spooky. It's very spooky, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Not, writing novels is, you know, it's kind of therapeutic, and, and so much of your own stuff goes in there, though, you know. Right. I promise you won't know what's real and what's not. This is just what lets me sleep at night. You know, when odd things happen like that, you've got to deal with it one way or the other. When I wrote The Piper, I was living in a house where these things were happening. I made up a lot of stuff, but a lot of it I didn't have to make up, and I... I think I'd prefer making it up. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I think yeah, that's I would not true. absolutely right. prefer right. making it up. I think there was something there that, and I woke it up and I didn't mean to. Oh, yes. I believe that that could happen. Yeah, I didn't yeah. mean to, but, you know, they always, I always think that you, they say, you know, you have to, you have autonomy over your soul mm-hmm. and you can say no. But I think sometimes we invite when we don't, not aware that we're inviting and that what's gets us in trouble. I don't like the take that, oh, you did something. You you went to a satanic service. You invited these. Right. You brought a Ouija board in the house. Yo, you know, you brought a Ouija board in the house. Well, you know, no wonder, no wonder you've got trouble, lady. Right. You know, you know, that house, I, you know, I always feel like houses are a love affair, you know, and I love them. And when I went into that house, I just did my usual thing was, oh, beautiful house. This is going to be so wonderful because I loved that place. And I got a strange sense of something waking up. And I thought, oh, such a novelist, so much imagination. Go unpack the boxes and don't worry about this. Right. But I think I did wake something up. Oh, I need out of the house. Thank you. No, and it didn't want me to leave. And every time I would pack the boxes to leave, I would turn around and they would knocked over to the floor. All of them, just everything spilled out. Oh, gosh. I know. Well, eventually (laughs) I had a talk with it. (laughs) And I said, I'm going. You'll be fine. You can't keep me here. And I tell you to stop. Oh. It did. Oh, wow. I think you have a lot more power than you realize. Because I'm like, wait, I can just tell it to stop? I mean, <laughs> oh, I should figured that out two years ago. <laughs> like, should have thought of that, right? <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? Darn it. I'm going to do something I never do. Do you think, like... Being in love with the house, like, is what woke it up. It was like, oh, someone someone loves me. Yes, yes, I believe that. I do. Because I always, I don't buy a house or, or, you know, unless I 
am in love with it. And it really is like a love affair. Mm -hmm. And that woke it up. It's like, oh, yes. I love you you too. And I want you to stay forever. You know, I got really sick when I was in that house. I had some kind of flu and I was sick for weeks and weeks and weeks. And now I think, was it trying to keep me? <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, you're like, oh. that's where the that's where the novel brain well, goes. Well, right. You know, but I just think You're like, hmm, good story. <laughs> yeah, really. So I really just think it's an extremely good idea that I left. And, you know, my husband, when things would happen, totally pragmatic, totally. And, you know, the lights would be going on and off in the bedroom and the water would turn out and I would say, stop. And it would stop. And he'd wake up and he'd go, are you doing any of that? I said, no. And then he'd roll over and go back to sleep. I just never could fathom that. And he said, well, he was French. Well, what do you want me to do? I said, well, let's run around in circles and scream. He says, I have to get up early. <laughs> and he's asleep. And But you know what? I really admire him for being able to do that. I mean, that takes a lot to be like not being concerned. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, it's like, well, I know what happened, but it's just not part of my life. And I have to go to work in the morning. I've got all these right, other so things I'm on my gonna... mind. So I'm just going to sleep. And I really think um, it's actually quite brilliant on his part. Yeah. Yeah, if you can do it. I'm a novelist. I cannot possibly do it. <laughs> You're like, hmm, let me write Plus, this Plus, I'm going to be going through the house thinking, what's going on here? I'm going to find it and I'm going right. to, you know, I'm belligerent. I'm going to make it go away. Yeah, right. that's really stupid. Or me, if I'm at a situation like that, I think I'm going to Nancy Drew it. I'm going yes, to exactly. find out. I got to exactly. know. I got to figure out why, what's going on. And right. I'm just going to be like, oh, I'm here. Back off, yeah. which I'm not sure that's a good idea. <laughs> like, <laughs> the part woke them up even more. Yeah, the, the, con- the confrontational part of me is like, yeah, all righty. What and, you got? Oh, yeah, well, you show me what you got. And then, oh, yeah, not a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> talk about an invitation, right? <laughs> you opened it right up, as I, I said. Did, yes. So you mentioned a couple times before that there was the secret place that you wanted to visit that was absolutely charged with demonic energy. Mm-hmm. Have you been able to visit? If so, what was it like? If not, if something that you're still going to do, which seems like you have gone. That is what I'm basing this new novel mm-hmm. on. <sighs> Someone's living there, so I can't go, and I'm relieved, I'll be honest with you, (laughs) because I was thinking, you know, here comes me, here comes Lynn with your phone and your little notebook and fascinated and totally focused. I mean, that's kind of an invitation, right? Yeah. Right. So I'm trying to decide if I'm going to do a drive-by or if I'm going to be smart, stay home, and I've got a lot of interview notes, okay, and pictures and descriptions, and I'm thinking, yeah, maybe at this point you might want to make it up. Yeah, just take the feeling of it. Yeah, I really, it's such a real place in my head. You know, at a point there's reality, and then the fiction takes over and feels more like real life. I'm not, I'm still on the fence. There's a part of me that wants to jump into my 23-year-old Miata and head out there and just ramble around, you know? (laughs) Then, like part of you is like, this is not a good part idea. of me is like, uh, just sit down and make something up, okay? <laughs> yeah, it might be safer that way. I know, I know. So, this comes to our last question, which I said that it's our last question because I so enjoy talking to you. Um, Thank you. So, what are you reading now? I am uh, reading a book called The Sleeping Beauties by Suzanne O'Sullivan because we had talked about it earlier. Suzanne O'Sullivan, she's an Irish neurologist. She's quite brilliant. What I love about her 
is that she she doesn't follow the rules. She doesn't follow the way the general neurologists take on things. And she is dealing with, say, mass possessions. She's dealing with people who have a sleeping sickness, and they all of these people in an area, just pretty much one here, two there, and then three there, they go into a coma, and they're barely conscious. And there is no physical reason for the sleeping sickness, and she calls it the sleeping beauties. And she says, and there's so little help. You know, they can't find a physical reason. There's not, can't really give therapy to someone who's in a coma, right? Right. And their families are desperate for help. And then if they do get therapy, she said there's always an assumption that this is based on a trauma from their past Mm -hmm. and maybe a form of dissociation, which is the nice term they use now for actual, what we used to call multiple personalities. And she said, that's not this. And she said, but people are... You, you know, very frustrated that somebody is trying to force them into admitting through gentle therapy a terrible trauma when there wasn't one and that this is external, not internal. So I just love that she's brilliant and she has an open mind. And she says, okay, I really actually cannot explain it. I have some theories, but I'm going to tell you what's going on. And that is where she's got me. I'm going to tell you what's going on. Oh, wow. That sounds fascinating. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Lynn, for thank coming. You. And, thank you. Uh, we have so enjoyed having you come visit us. And we hope to see you again so we can know more about Noah. <laughs> yes. The darkness <laughs> in Provence. Wait for it. It's coming. <laughs> Yay. Well, thank you so much for coming. Thank you. We'd love for you to read us a passage from the Enlightenment Project to close us out. I would love to. Yay! I'm going to begin with Chapter 1. That night, late in the OR, exhausted after hours on my feet, topped off with a late-night emergency surgery, I was removing the octopus tentacles of medulloblastoma from the brain of a 14-year-old girl who wanted to work for NASA when she grew up, and I felt the presence. It had been there since I was 11, like a shadow in my peripheral vision. But tonight, tonight there was some kind of shift, like a sudden change in air pressure, and it broke my concentration. I felt a surge of nausea that brought bile to my mouth and caught a whiff of something that would make a man with less control gag and turn away. A quick look at my surgical team, but no one had noticed anything. My head nurse, a veteran of Iraq, wiped sweat from my forehead, bringing me back into the moment. He was the only one who seemed to feel the prick of something other in the room. He gave me a strange look, his combat experience, putting him on the alert. Because like me, he had the sense that something here was wrong. I took another look at the brain tissue magnified for my viewing pleasure. I had the feeling that something was waiting, wanting, circling my patient, and that I was out of time. I probed ever so gently, and I found it, the dirty little handprint of the tumor hiding away. Malignant tumors are ambitious, warriors out to invade and conquer. We still don't know what causes them. I did not like not knowing. I do not like uncertainty. I was a neurosurgeon, one of the gods of medicine, but like all of us, I had to live with it. So I took what was wise and prayed to the gods of radiation to annihilate the rest. 
I nodded to marshal my head nurse to close. My other nurse gave me another look, and I walked away from the OR. Olivia's parents jumped when I came into the room for their faces tight with tension and the trikes of tears. I held their hands and we sat together, and I answered their questions, all of them that could be answered. The quarters to my office, noisy during the day, were quiet, the thin gray carpet absorbing the tread of my footsteps. There was something, a darkness that scurried like a rat in the corner, right at the edge of my vision. I stopped for a moment, then wisely I ignored it. Wisely, I looked away. When the crossroad comes, you do not recognize it. You do not know it until afterward looking back. But this is when it began again. Have you ever known anyone who survived being possessed? You do now. You've met me. I headed into my office to get my car keys, make a few notes. My office lights were on. The door opened a crack. I felt the presence before I saw the man on the couch beside my desk, a priest. Thanks for listening to Turning the Page, a podcast brought to you by Lexington Public Library staff. If you've enjoyed listening, please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions or suggestions for future podcasts, you can email us at elibrarian at lexpublive.org. That's elibrarian at l-e-x-p-u-b-l-i-b dot org. I'm Jennifer, and we'll be back to turn another page.